Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. I'm Lonnie Lowry. I'm a nutritionist, exercise scientist, and I'm a prior competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, powerlifter. I was just away last week at another big meet. So, Hey, this is Dr. Mike Janelson. I'm a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, owner of Stream <clears throat> Performance, and you're at the CrossFit Games looking for the ketogenic winning CrossFitter. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, today we'll have a somewhat shorter episode, everyone. My, I've got stitches in my mouth, and it's just hard to talk. So we're going to try to get you 45 minutes. <laughs> you can tolerate my silly, you know, um, speech here. Uh, news. Let's start with Phil. Strength and muscle sport news. Um, and the meat that you just did, right? Yeah. So we just had. What did we throw? It was two days, Sunflower State Games that I was running and helping run, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday was weightlifting. It was the first time they had weightlifting back in the state games in about a decade. Um, and then Sunday was powerlifting. It went well. It went well. I mean, it was a lot of work. I think next year we're going to make some changes. Um, the state games is kind of weird to deal with as an organization. So, like, we told them they wanted, we wanted to do powerlifting, and then I was like, are you guys doing weightlifting? They're like, no. Nobody wants to run it. No one, no one's approached us to run it. I was like, well, okay, we'll do that too. And <laughs> then, basically, they pick your venue for you and tell you how much you're going to pay and stuff like that. So next year, I'm going to be like, next year it's going to be a, hey, we're throwing two meets on the same weekend as your state games at my place. They can be state games or not. So, <laughs> <laughs> and just let them let them choose. But uh, no, it went well. We had about 30, uh, 30 weightlifters, which isn't bad for a weightlifting meet, mm-hmm. especially the first one. And then uh, we filled up in powerlifting 65 right away oh. within the first week, week and a half. Oh, wow. So, um, no, it went off without a hitch. Just lots of moving equipment and stuff across town. And, uh, me and J.P. Price ran the powerlifting, and then me and Jarrell ran the, the weightlifting. So hmm. it went good. A lot of, a lot of first-time lifters. Oh, okay. So uh, it was about 80% first-time lifters and powerlifting. Like, I'd never seen that many people raise wow. their hand. That's yeah, when, when they asked, you know, how many of this is your first meet? It was like, damn near everybody lifted their hand. It was like, oh, okay. Oh. So um, so no really huge performances then? No. There, well, yes. Actually, there was a there was a female that was her first, uh, first competition, and – trying to remember her squat 340 or something like that she crushed 340 wow and then everybody's like wow you know and then she comes up for bench and kills 210 uh super easy wow yeah and then we get to deadlift and she opens at like 380 kills it goes like 415 <sighs> kills it goes 457 and hits it like an open oh jeez. um yeah, and it's like, holy moly. Anyways, uh, long story short, she'll be at my gym this weekend. So, 
<laughs> like recruited. <laughs> and, yeah, and everybody's like, "You must get her." She she's right here in town and training by herself. Oh, and oh. Ex, uh, she was a basketball player for the university here. Huh. So, uh, yeah, we gained probably four lifters off the meet, um, which is pretty normal for us. Uh, <laughs> we came in. Not many of our lifters lifted because we're running it. So basically, I recruit our own people to help help. Uh, but we had uh, maybe five five lifters in it, so they all did real well. Allison hit deadlifts across the board, or deadlift PRs, and uh, deadlift squat and bench, I think. So, um, yeah, it went well. It went well. It's uh, I just read something by the new Open Powerlifting, which is kind of taking the place of Powerlifting Watch. And they took all the stats from across all the powerlifting federations of registered lifters. And I think it was, I'm just quoting verbatim here, but I think it was like 15, almost 15,000 men were uh, registered in powerlifting in 2013. This year it's like 47,000. That's wow. how much That's how much the sport has grown in, in five years. And women went from like 3,800 to like 19,000, something like that. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, it's grown massively in a short amount of time in the last five years. That's so, fun. Good. Um, yeah, so we're seeing a huge upswing in that, and I mean, I can't help but think it's a lot due to the resurgence of raw lifting. It's made it more accessible to everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it lowers the barrier to entry, you know, because you don't have yeah. to navigate not just the cost, but the how to use all this different equipment. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And the women, I mean, it's been the upsurge in women. I don't think it'll ever match men, but it's very noticeable how many females are in the sport now. Um, so it's which is a good thing. I mean, yeah, oh, definitely. Honestly, they're doing the most impressive things. So comparatively, numbers for numbers. I mean, so yep, yep, cool, very cool. Across the games, Mike, did you catch that marathon row? Uh, I actually just kind of heard about it, and um, yeah, we didn't get here till yesterday, actually, so we weren't out there for that. But um, that had to be a crowd oh. pleaser. Oh, what a <laughs> disaster! <laughs> well, I got an argument on this, and it was like I have nothing wrong with the event. Right. Okay, I understand it's hard. You're rowing yeah. four thousand meters, but they could not have picked a more boring event. For spectators. Oh, for spectators, like, it'd be brutal. Yeah, you're just you're literally sitting there watching people row in place for like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> oh know? man. You yeah. can't tell who's in the lead because they're on rowers with little ergonomic meters. You right. Know? So it's like who's winning? Oh, you can't tell that Joe just passed Jim. You know. Right. It's like there's no excitement level to it. I was secretly hoping like somebody's battery die and like throw a flop <laughs> at the thing. Like, oh crap! The rower broke. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you do have to wonder about that too, with you know things that are more mechanical. I mean, rowers are very reliable, but still, when you're going that long, and yeah. I don't know, there's always like one or two events that are just like head scratchers on multiple levels. You're like, how? Yeah. What the hell? What the? You know, I think they do that just to screw with the athletes because oh, they'll be like, remember that one year we had that weird event? Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When you can't physically pass each other, like, and, and yeah. you know, that's even worse. I mean, no offense, but that's even harsher to me than, like, watching a bench press competition. You know, there's yeah. not a ton going on there, but at least something is 
moving and like moving. You know, all at yeah. once. There's something climatic. There's some kind of climax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, put them on a lake, make them do laps. You know, right. That would be amazing. It'd be like NASCAR style rowing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're running into each other and uh, bumper but, boats. Yeah. So <laughs> full contact rowing. I think it's what is it? They were off. Were they off yesterday and back on today or something like that? Yeah, so it's today and then tomorrow. I think there might be two or three events today and it's it's even hard to figure out because when you're there, we just got the general admission tickets. We were here mm-hmm. last year too and we didn't do the, the Coliseum ones because they're kind of spendy, but there's tons of stuff going on. See, obviously, you've got different age groups and you've got different classes and um, and it's also just fascinating. I was staying with my buddy Jim here. We were talking last night and like, I kind of get like spectators watching, you know, football and basketball and you know, things that they're probably never going to get close to doing and probably have never played in their life. But it's weird to, you know, hang out and drink beer and watch people exercise, even though I'm one of the people doing <laughs> that. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, it's it's interest. There's more interesting to watch when I was here last year than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have a couple of questions to address from last week, and then we're going to get into our topic of the day after the break, everyone, which is um, self-monitoring. Like, what do you do, whether it's nutrition, like how do we clinically monitor people or screen very informal uh, movement screens or like mobility type stuff, stre- strength and performance. We're just going to talk about how you self-assess, really. Um in the news, before I get to the emails, uh, because crowdsourcing works, I mean, we had, um, oh gosh, two or three dozen responses to the little ad that I was running about the taste testing project uh, with mm. the different coffee brew methods and whatnot. Um, I'd like to do this something similar with guests. So we have um, a couple of people just planned, like loosely planned to come on the show in the next several weeks. I actually asked Chris Shugart if he wanted to come on. Him and Danny, his wife, they have a new podcast coming out. So I thought we'd talk about podcasting a little bit. Maybe nice. a little back, you know, crossover kind of thing. Um, Chris always has good things to say. Uh, we've tossed around the idea of looking at mushrooms as nutraceuticals. And, Mike, I know that you're reaching out to uh, the supplier, right, the professional, yes. professional guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and then I'm going to reach out to the Dr. Cordero, and we've had her on before as far as like uh, breaking into fitness writing uh, and whatnot. But uh, she's also a mushroom hunter, like like you know amateur, I guess, but for a long time. So like what to look hmm. for, what not to eat, like you know that kind of stuff. Where where to go? <laughs> Don't get, eat that one. It'll yeah, kill you. yeah, yeah. But they have really cool nutraceutical possibilities. So there's that one, and I've got two women strength coaches lined up. Uh, to talk about different things related to women. Phil's just talking about the explosive growth in, with women in powerlifting. So, you know, I thought that would be good. Yeah. Just trying to follow what people want, right? So, okay. Here are our two questions then that we need to address from last time. This first one I think Phil's familiar with. And again, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm, I'm missing a front tooth. And it's a long story. It's an old martial arts <laughs> injury. Um, hello? I've been struggling with a client who believes fasting 16 hours a day and then cramming 3,000 calories into two meals between 6 p.m. and midnight is the way to go. Uh, The two meals consist of six eggs, cheese, and tomato. 
And then number two, one and a half pounds of chicken, a pound of carrots, three cups of spinach, two cups of kale, tomatoes, and olive oil. So that's it. In two meals between 6 p.m. and midnight. I've tried every trick in my book and even set the study. Uh, I'd like your opinion on the link. And there's something linked below about intermittent fasting. Uh, I also discussed this with Phil and my friend who's a Ph.D. in mm-hmm. ex-phys. Uh, and their input was dismissed as well. Any help or advice you could offer would be greatly appreciated, Nash. Yeah. All right. All right. I was uh, saying, I know who this is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, background, maybe Phil? I don't know. Yeah, well, I can also tell you that, like, the person is uh, has has categorized foods as evil and good. Mm. So there are there are sinful foods and non sinful foods. Like anything sugar based is or like really carb based is like a sin. It's a bad food. Mm, okay. So my first, I told him he had you know basically has something. It's a hard case to work on. He's gonna have to slowly crack this one with with like kid fingers. <clears throat> and uh, my. My idea was start introducing things. Find something that the person would accept as not totally evil, which was honey. Um, he's like, interesting you say that. I asked him, and he said he'd be okay to eat honey. I was like, okay, that's your step in. Nice. And once he figures out that doesn't kill him, <laughs> <laughs> and you make it a point to tell him that, now you can add one more thing type of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah it was very warrior diet-esque is what he's doing. Oh, um, um. But, uh like okay sit down and eat a head of freaking lettuce and then you get to eat something else after an all day fast um and yeah we went on about that so yeah he's got a hard one there so oh boy yeah it's ironic that honey was the choice because honey i mean that's a lot of fructose and if, yeah, if anything yeah. that's the sugar that i'm most wary of you know well yeah but it's like all but natural, it's natural honey. yes yes it's like bee spit <laughs> <laughs> you know what this sounds like the um the new labels where added sugars are considered different from just sugars, yeah. you know, uh, kind of thing. And uh, here's my two cents very briefly because I know people don't want to hear me talk. Uh, the Prochaska, uh, the readiness model, you know, the readiness to change model. Yeah. This guy is he's pre-contemplative, you know, so yep. you don't set goals for someone like that. All you can do is reinforce your concerns, keep providing evidence, right, of your concerns. Like there's very little variety you know, um, I don't know how many this is, like like less than 10 food items here out of the thousands upon thousands. So very little variety. And what that might do to someone's physiology, you know, all those different nutrients or phytochemicals they're missing. All you can do in that model, right, because he's not even contemplating doing something different, is keep providing evidence about your concerns. I think that's what we would probably do uh, clinically. That's one of the things I think we do better in nutrition than in exercise science is we try to assess readiness, you know, or confidence to change. And in a lot of ways, in many fitness circles, and we all know this, people just start programming. They assess and yeah. program and then just launch some, you know, elaborate thing. And the person's like, I don't know, doctor said I had to be here. And they don't buy in. And without buy-in, you got nothing. Yeah. I mean, my wife in, in um, mental health, similar, right? You, it, without buy-in from the mm-hmm. patient or the client, you, you're going nowhere. Uh, but, Mike, you're... You're well read, I think, on intermittent fasting and whatnot. So, uh, what do you think about this? Jam three thousand <laughs> calories into a six-hour window. Yeah, yeah. The thing that when you read it that that jumped out to me more than the fasting thing was what the person was eating. 
you're like, holy crap, that's a lot of, in quotes, clean food in a short period of time. And that's not normal for people who choose to only eat two meals. Um, in terms of the research, eh, you can go back and forth. I mean, <clears throat> protein synthesis, three to five meals is probably best. Um, there's some good data on fasting, but again, it goes back to what are your goals, what are you trying to do, what is your digestion like, things of that nature. Um, not where I would have people start, but if they're kind of already there, you kind of have to work with what you have. And something I think I stole from John Berardi years ago is that, like in this case, I agree with Phil trying to find something that's a little bit closer to what you want and get buy-in on that. That's awesome. And then I'll just set up their own experiment and say, hey, if you want to do this, okay, your choice. That's cool. Um, what are your markers? What are you trying to get out of this? Is it body comp? Is it performance or whatever? So I'll set up, you know, some type of markers, which we'll get into later about testing, and then just run the experiment and see how it goes. You know, if that person is completely happy as hell and their results are great and there's no negative, yeah, I'd probably just let them run with it for a while. But I bet there's probably some performance or something that's not going to be as good. And so the second they're like, ah, you know, my squat's really not going up. I'm like, oh, well, how many carbs have you had? Oh, I had, you know, a bunch of carrots. And, you know, that gives you kind of a window to be like, maybe you should have a little more honey. Let's try that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, the end. and, and yeah. kind of let them feel it out. Because if you just keep, and I agree, education is a huge part in that, that stage. Um, but, man, that's such a long process, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times I think as trainers, we have a tendency, and I know I still have a tendency of doing this, of like, they just don't listen to the data, you know, and it's yeah. like, eh, more data is probably not going to solve it then. You know, it's helpful long term, but it's acutely not going to probably change their opinion, unfortunately. Yeah, it's really the only approach, I think, for someone who's pre-contemplative like that, right? Is Correct. Either an yes. argument or more evidence, like make them think about things, again, like to, to show the concern. Like you might be doing great right now, and this might work right. for a year or even two, but let's talk about what five or ten years of not getting this or that vitamin or phytochemical, what it might do to your physique. Let's just explore that yeah. a little. And then let them think through it a little bit, you know, because very limited variety is one of the things that concerns me the most, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. And that is one of the rare times that I will actually sometimes, if I get their agreement, do more testing. I'm not a big micronutrient testing fan, and that's a whole other rabbit hole, but some type of data to show them that, hey, does this match your goals? You know, if you're really tired all the time or energy or whatever, your performance is down, you know, getting something that they agree on that, oh, yeah, that's not really the direction I want to go. And so that way it kind of it takes you a little bit out of the picture too. You're saying, hey, this is the data from your response of your body on this little experiment you're running. If you're happy with that, that's fine. If you don't like that, okay, now we have to talk about what we want to change. And that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a crack to kind of wedge some stuff into. Yeah. It may even just be the social aspect of not eating 16 hours a day. And what does that do to your family or friends? Like, do you sit there? Sure. You sit there at the table? Do you not, do you yeah, not go? Stare at them. Are you isolated? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Now, I don't see anything here. Maybe he's supplementing a multivitamin or some fish oils. You know, I don't yeah. know those things. But, you know, again, with such limited variety... That's one of my biggest concerns for the long haul, you know. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, next up, this is from Mitch. Mitch says, um, let's see. 
I'm sure you're already aware of the new diet craze that is the carnivore diet. Dr. Sean Baker and Mark, quote-unquote, Smelly Bell, are two (laughs) of the biggest advocates for this. My concern with this is becoming deficient in micronutrients. I personally contacted Dr. Sean Baker after listening to his podcast uh, to ask him about this. His answer to me was to just eat plenty of meat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still not convinced that this can be safe, long-term dietary lifestyle. All of his research and studies that he has referenced, however, have shown multiple positive adaptations. What is your opinion on this? Thanks, Mitch. Uh, <coughs> Phil, you know those guys. <laughs> um, yep. Maybe some insight as to the carnivore diet and what you think about it. And This almost reminds me of the, the Phil Stevens meat cleanse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you that a lot of it's very... I'm not totally attuned to it. I haven't like read the books or anything, but uh, I I know just from seeing it, it's a lot. It's a lot of red meat um, over over chicken and things like that um, because of the just this higher micronutrient content and things like that. So I think they were having simple things like a carrot a day and something else. You get a few other little things, but uh, it's just all based on the. The density of, of nutrients in in red meat. Yeah. So and that that one of the biggest wastes in our society now is vegetables getting thrown out. Is what the doctor was talking about. It's like I go to my fridge and I notice that most of usually what spoils is these friggin' vegetables I'm buying all the time. So why am I even buying them? <laughs> so uh, that's kind of the extent of what I know about it. Yeah, so. I, I think the whole food chain thing, I mean Mitch, red meats are, like Phil says, are very rich in a lot of micronutrients, actually. There'd be a couple of things you're not going to get a hold of, like, you know, folate, which is literally from foliage or green leaves, uh, vitamin C, you know, some of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of B vitamins, uh, a lot of minerals in in red meats. Uh, This looks like a very low-carb, maybe even a keto-esque kind of thing. Um, And, again, I haven't read about it myself either, Um, You'd get some nice zoo chemicals. I'd be concerned about things like fiber and phytochemicals. Um, again, it's it's another attempt. It severely limits variety. So imagine like taking an old-fashioned food guide pyramid and just chopping off big chunks of it. And you're you know you could run the, the risk of long term not getting some things you could really use. Like think of all those beautiful colors in fruits and vegetables and blueberries, you know, and and in tomatoes and and all those kinds of things. And you're just not getting them. So uh, yeah, and the fiber thing acutely might be something I was I'd be concerned about. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I did a whole podcast with Sean Baker, um, man, maybe a year ago now with Ryan Munsey. So if you just look at Mike T. Nelson, Sean Baker, Ryan Munsey, it'll show up. Cool. Um, when I first heard about it, Ryan asked me to do the show. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. And this is like when it first started. It was right before he even went on Joe Rogan. And so I went back and listened to it and looked at it, and it makes perfect sense in the culture of fitness because what's more hardcore than keto? Oh, carnivore. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you know, this yeah, has yeah. to be better, right? It's more hardcore. Um, and I think possibly for people who have just wacky inflammation and allergies or insensitivities or just you know really weird extreme stuff going on in their body, I think it might be useful in those cases, um, but those cases are very rare. Um, outside of that, exactly what you guys said is 
micronutrients. I did a little just back of the envelope calculation and if you go by the standard RDA and if you start including uh, liver, which he does recommend, other things like that, um, micronutrients as we know them are not too bad. You can do okay. Mm-hmm. But exactly what you said, Lonnie, is the ones we have less data on, you know, all the different phytochemicals, the different colors, and all those that we don't really have a set amount per se when you run your standard dietary analysis. So that does concern me. Uh, there's data from Julia Rutledge and other people showing that Higher amounts of micronutrients uh, do help people under very stressful situations. So if someone has a very high level of stress, I don't think that's going to be best. Obviously, it's more of a ketogenic type approach. Carbohydrates are going to be low. I don't care how much freaking meat you're eating. There's just not that much glycogen in it. You're just not getting that many carbohydrates. Yeah, none. Yeah. 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 And if that fits with your lifestyle and your performance, then that's okay. But... I get worried that people always are drawn to the restrictive end of the spectrum and not the expansion end of the spectrum. Um, that's probably what I think concerns me the most uh, about it. But and I guarantee, and you've already seen some of this happening, what you're going to see is people find that that diet worked for about five to eight weeks, and then they find they need to start adding things in. And I've, I just looked on this yesterday. There's already versions of the carnivore diet that's, well, it's lots of red meat and maybe some eggs and, you know, fat's okay, so we'll add a little bit of fat, yeah. like you said. Yeah. Maybe a couple carrots here and there and, you know, within six months it'll be like, oh, okay, so a, a paleo kind of low-carb diet. Oh, but no, it's carnivore, man. I'm more hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, there you go, Mitch. Um, probably not a real long-term solution. Uh, honestly, because the body is so forgiving, again, short of... It'll work for a while. Yeah, intolerances or allergies or something or whatever. Uh, God, what if one of those people got bit by that lone star tick? <laughs> there, there goes their carnivore diet. Anyway. Um, okay. Yep. Let's, let's go ahead and uh, we'll go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about informal self-assessments. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks.
Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we are back. It's Phil, it's Mike, and it's Lonnie. And we are going to talk about informal self-assessments. So sort of a monitoring, screening, if you will, uh, in a couple of different categories. So how do you go about keeping tabs on yourself? Uh, I'm going to start quickly and then so I can shut up because it's uncomfortable to talk. But uh, nutrition-wise, clinically, one of the first things we ask is, do you have any problems chewing or swallowing? So I'm actually in that category right now. My diet has changed dramatically over the last couple of days because I've got this, you know, implant uh, process going on to replace one of my my teeth with a, with a prosthetic tooth. But the point is, chewing or swallowing problems really will shut you down, and I think we can all understand that. Um, if you have that, like on a lot of nutrition screening tools, you're automatically dinged many points, you know, because they usually on a point system. If you want to keep something uh, beyond just a yes/no in your training log, though, appetite on a five scale is something that I always log. Um, it might be if you're dieting, your appetite has gone up. It might be if you're overtraining, your appetite goes down. But putting that on a one to five scale in your training log, I think, is something that's good. Um, sleep satisfaction. I know it's not nutrition per se, but it affects nutrient metabolism, of course. But sleep satisfaction on a one to five scale. Also, very handy for self-monitoring because if you're usually humming around, you know, along at a four, uh, and all of a sudden your sleep satisfaction is a two, you, you've been sleeping very poorly, you're not satisfied with it. That's a huge problem. Mike and I actually addressed that last week a little bit about one of the biggest red yeah. flags that you could see is you know really poor sleep, not just in the amount, right, but satisfaction. It's more of a subjective thing, almost like rate of perceived exertion, you know, RPE. It's more of a perceptual thing. Um, unintentional weight gain or weight loss in the last 12 weeks. That's another typical thing. Uh, something similar to that is what we'll use in a clinical setting. So unintentional weight gain and loss, especially if it's more than five pounds in the last three months or so, that's a big concern too because something is at work. Something is, you know, homeostasis is breaking for some reason. Uh, so that's another one too. So uh, chewing and swallowing, appetite, sleep satisfaction, and then weight gain or loss that's been unintentional, those are all things that you can monitor uh, right there in your training log. And like I said, I like Likert-type scales, just 1 to 5. If you prefer 1 to 10, that's cool too. Um, but some ways that you can address the nutrition side, I think, a little bit. Uh, Mike, what about 
movement. So, you know, think about joint health, flexibility, movement screens, anything like that. What What's something that people can do along those lines to self-monitor? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the FMS and there's other sort of self-movement screens. I did a lot of stuff with that in the past. I don't really use them much anymore, to be honest. Why? Um, Why is that? I even as a self-assessment, I found most people had a hard time self-assessing themselves. They could get kind of close. Um, I kind of disagree with some of the research that's been done on a more of a formal setting in terms of injury prediction and things of that nature. Um, how applicable an overhead squat is to Ethel, who hasn't done one in years, you know, so it becomes very hyper-specific pretty fast. So I usually just go with, you know, what are your goals, right? So if you're like, hey, I want to be in a powerlifting meet because powerlifting sounds cool, all right, well, then you got a bench press and back squat and deadlift. You know, what do you <clears throat> look like when you do that? If your back squat is you have to hyper-extend like crazy because your shoulder external rotation is horrible and it hurts with just the bar, eh, that's probably where one of your problems are, you know, and... From there, I'll just do a really basic screen, usually for overhead stuff, because shoulders tend to be the worst. It's just, you know, stand, bring your shoulder all the way, your arm all the way up, and can you get it all the way up? And then most people will hyperextend through their low back. <clears throat> so I'll just put them on the floor and be like, okay, kind of keep your low back in the same position, put your hand under it, and then bring your arm overhead. You know, if you're 45 degrees from full extension, probably got some you know work to do on that even just a body weight squat you know can you get in the bottom position you know do you have to hold on to something does that help um another one that's useful that you probably need someone to help you with a little bit uh Stu mcgill talks about this as just a screen for hip structure so you have someone lay on the back on their back and then you just take their leg and you kind of move it up and out you know looking for that end range in their hip it's kind of hard to do yourself but you can kind of Jerry rig it a little bit with your feet up against a wall. And you're just looking to see, you know, can you get to parallel or maybe a little bit below parallel? You know, because some structures of hips I've seen, man, you're only getting one to two inches below parallel and the back and everything else is moving from there. Oh. Um, so in terms of movement assessment, that's kind of what I do. I used to do a lot more like uber, I guess, complex stuff. Uh, in person, I may do some manual muscle testing and some other stuff, but... And self-assessments, I think, especially with online, the biggest thing I always ask clients is if you have any pain during any exercise, uh, let me know and then send me a video. Because you know, there's mm -hmm. something probably not right and your body's telling you, hey, uh, this isn't right. We need to probably change something. Yeah. Right. Would it be appropriate to do a Likert-type scale with pain? Like if you're like, listen, I have a chronic injury. I'm usually humming along at a one on a five scale, and lately it's been a four. Or, or is that something that people should just straight with pain go to a professional? Yeah, I mean, if they have any pain, obviously they want to seek out a physical therapist or orthopedic to know what's going on. But the reality is most trainers work with people who have these, oh, my left knee hurts once in a while, yeah. or it's just kind of always there. And I'm not going to a physical therapist. They can't figure it out or whatever reason they have for it. So usually you're left with kind of these, these things that aren't clinically bad enough for them to seek treatment, even though they probably should. So in those cases, I'll be like, all right, just rate it on a 1 to 5 scale or 1 to 10 scale, and we're just keeping an eye on it, right? And if it gets better, we're like, oh, okay, so that's good. Or if it's worse in the morning and better at night, you can kind of look at timing and things that they do. 
most of that I'm just trying to make them aware of what's aggravating it. Because if it's changing during the day, something you're doing is making it better or something is making it worse. So we figure out what makes it better, cool, we'll just do more of that. We figure out what makes it worse, well, we'll try to stop doing that. Yeah. And a lot of times that can be enough to get you know people kind of out of those kind of weird sort of niggly issues. But yeah, I do like having them track it in their journal because mm-hmm. otherwise it all tends to be just one big blur. Right. You know, and they go back and look and they can see, oh yeah, when we started squatting twice a week, yeah, my pain did start going up. Okay, let's try squatting once a week or let's switch you to a goblet squat or front squat or zercher squat. Oh wow, that was actually a lot better now. Right, so it kind of gives you a little bit of a framework to work in. Yeah, quantify when possible, for sure, yes. when it comes to monitor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what about flexibility and that kind of thing? It, it, if, like I said, you mentioned like almost like can you get flat-footed ass to heels in the squat, you know, that kind of basic stuff like that. Um, I don't know, sit-and-reach tests or anything like that? Is it worth uh, you know, trying to I think assess? I just a... We did those all the time like when I was a TA. Yeah. I think the sit and reach test is the most worthless test <laughs> that's ever been done. It's just a because the stupid part is, right? So someone says, you ask someone and go, hey, my hamstrings are tight. Okay. Well, we know static stretching for them is probably a stupid idea. And then the question is, well, why are they tight? And most of the time it's because their pelvis is so anteriorly rotated that the back part of the pelvis, right, the SI joint, has already pre-stretched the damn hamstrings. Yeah. So they go to do anything, they stay in that pelvic position, of course their hamstring's going to be tight, and you try to move it on the other end. So, you know, I like to do, you know, some breathing stuff, some other stuff. I'll have them do some self-RPR work. Try to get that to be a little bit more neutral-ish. And, oh, wow, my hamstrings aren't really so tight anymore. Oh, wow. The morning joke I have is if I do a session with a client that's more hands-on, I'll just passively measure it and be like, ah, 45 degrees, okay. At the end of the session, a lot of times they get 15, 20 degrees in some cases, right? And that's just changing the orientation of the pelvis. And I'm like, yeah, you had a static stretch for 20 years to do that. They're like, whoa, this is crazy. (laughs) It's like, no, it's just mechanics of getting the hip in a better position. Or if you you go to a therapist and they do PRI or they do some other work or whatever, you know, I think just understanding the mechanics of why something is tight, I think, is the number one thing and not just trying to stretch everything. Yeah, you know. It, for me, it was very telling. I would use when I would teach like strength and conditioning to a bunch of beginners, uh, just sort of a you know one hundred one university class. Just having someone hold a doorknob and squat down as far as they could, they can, sure. you know, and see how poorly some people can do that. Like something oh, it's such horrible. A, like you can't yeah. squat down. Like yeah, you know, even with help, without yeah. limbo, yeah. And it's less, and like how do you possibly think you're gonna like a lot of these kids? They're like, teach me Olympic lifting. I'm like, a. I'm going to bring in, bring in somebody else to do that. B, you can't even sit down with your ass between your, your heels. Like, yeah. how are you going to do that with weight over your head? You know, and, and don't tell me it's going to push you down into position. I mean, if you're skilled, fine. But anyway. Uh, all right. And then since we're going to keep it a little shorter today, uh, Phil, um, what about monitoring strength? I mean, obviously stuff like one rep max or I don't know. Do you, you ever do reps to failure? How do you mo- monitor yourself or your people? Yeah, a lot of times. So we don't really we don't max a lot at max every, once every quarter um, would be the most yeah. um, for my stronger athletes. Maybe it's twice a year. Um, what we're looking at is how we're able to move. We do a lot of work on moving eighty percent better than we could before. So if if somebody can crush eighty percent 
if our 80% keeps slowly rising, we know where we're heading in the right direction without having to go to 100. So, we'll, yeah, we'll do a lot of what I call buy-ups. So, like, let's say we're doing five sets of three at 80%. If they're feeling good that day, we may on that last set take extra reps to something that's good but hard. You know, we're trying to never let form break. It's like, oh, okay, form broke a little bit on that set. I'm done on that rep. I'm done. But I hit seven you know, mm-hmm. at 80%. We know we're progressing. Um, or if you're feeling good, the other one we'll do for biops is, okay, we've done our five sets of three. Now we're going to do – They were we were crushing them. Let's do numerous sets where we go up after that volume. So we're already in a fatigue state. We're going to go up and hit something solid but hard at a set of three after the, the five sets of three. Um, type of thing. So there's all kinds of systems built in like that that we're able to test with. And a lot of it's just how you're moving it. I mean, for myself, that's how I test myself. Like, I know, uh, like, coming to a meet, I never go over my opener, really. Uh, I don't have a need to. Because if I know I'm crushing what I plan to open with, there's a lot more left in the tank. Mm -hmm. So if I'm now crushing my opener and it's heavier than last meet, okay, I'm stronger. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So, and we never have to go go above that like brian who i'm getting ready to take to a meet in what two weeks big international meet his opener was 815 at the last meet we never went over that but we knew he was good for nine something and he got nine something so now if we can open at 850 855 we just never have to get into that area we don't in my mind the place for testing true maxes is just at a meet um the chance because there is a chance there's a higher chance for uh, failure and injury at that level of lifting when you're lifting that many pounds you know you start lifting seven eight nine hundred pounds uh, the chance of an injury on a very small uh, something small going wrong is large you know knee shifts a little bit uh, for somebody squatting 225 okay that was ugly for somebody squatting 950 could be catastrophic <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So we don't ever, I mean, we're just looking to make reps perfect in that 80 and 90% range on our heavy, heavy stuff. Um, and if something's wrong, okay, we, we start working on that. So it's a lot of me looking at what's going on and the moving parts, uh, even more so in Olympic weightlifting. So in Olympic weightlifting, it's, you know, we're always searching for that perfect rep, kind of like people are searching for the perfect swing in golf. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all on how close it was, how uh, just how perfect the rep was. And if we can hit 10 perfect reps at 85%, eh, we're heading in the right direction. You know, it's all about consistency consistency of perfect reps. So um, what's the old quote about, you know, don't train until you get it right, train until you can't get it wrong? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, that's what we work on a lot. And we don't, we don't work in that 100% range, even 90% range, uh, a lot. It's all about working in, in other ranges, and we're slow, trying to slowly raise our 80 if we can get our 80 higher, something we can always triple or five, we know we're heading in the right direction. So right on. Without have, oh, without having to go there and the risk of going there. So okay. Uh, what about? Um, do you ever assess or worry about aerobic base? Do you ever get people like you're like, listen, you're just so out of shape, you can't even create. Like, oh you, yeah. You can't even get through a workout. <laughs> like, how would you monitor their aerobic base? I mean, if you're if you're wrecked, like. If you're just wrecked after doing some sets of squats, like I can't, I'm done, you, we probably need to get some conditioning in. Mm-hmm. You, know, you should be able to make it through a workout. I mean, the workouts I do are hard, 
Um, I we do a lot of volume based stuff, and we have quite a bit of assistance work. But it's not that hard, you know. So I mean, if I got somebody that just can't make it through, like they make it through squats and they are done, like I can't do my assistance work. Okay, well we need to back off squats and do other stuff because you can't make it through the other stuff. So we need to get your motor built up a little bit more so you can complete these these tasks. So, and I have a lot of luck with uh, strongman things, drags, carries, things like that. Nice. It's a little it's a little more fun too. And yeah. for powerlifting yeah. and strength athletes, they're always static. I find it, it it brings their strength up a ton. Now for my other athletes, my 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 football players, my wrestlers, and things like that, who are most of their time is spent moving around doing other activities, I can get away with just basic, we're just getting you stronger. Because a great majority of the rest of their time is being in shape and moving through space. So my athletes, that, that their goal or their, their sport is just very static, getting them to move through space more gets them stronger. Okay, um, yeah. So. Yeah, it sounds like, like per client, like subjective self-report, I mean... I, yeah, I would be tempted to want an RPE number, you know, like, oh, my God, I usually go through these workouts at 16 on a 20 scale, and now I'm 19. This is so hard. It might suggest you're out of shape. The problem with that kind of subjective report putting numbers is because it could also be overtraining or something else, you know, instead of yeah, bad more. Day. You know, whatever. Everybody yeah, has bad day. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like – and that's, for me, like you were talking about, the assessments for stretching and, and – uh, touching your toes. I don't care if you can touch your toes. If you can put a bar over your head and squat to your ankles, I don't care if you can touch your toes. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Because you could do your sport correctly. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Specificity, yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. That's all I'm worried about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we're going to let's, – let's wind that down. <laughs> so there's some ideas for everyone. If you want to do informal um, self-monitoring kinds of things, nutrition – uh, movement and range of motion type stuff, a little bit on the performance and strength side of things, something you can consider uh, as you head into the next couple of weeks. Uh, remember, last r- r- sort of notice here, uh, we're crowdsourcing ideas for who you might want to have on to be interviewed. Again, non-commercial. So w- we get a lot of emails behind the scenes that you guys don't hear about with people, they have a media person. And honestly, if I work with someone who is a, a, a clinician or a coach, and they have hired a media person to go farm them out, uh, that's a little bit of a red flag to me. I mean, I know lots of people do that in the fitness world and whatnot, but usually, it, I mean, a lot of people are too busy, you know, to aggressively pursue that kind of thing. You know, they're busy doing their the medicine or the coaching or whatever. So sometimes that can be a red flag. So not someone who, who just wants to farm their new book. Sometimes it's kind of interesting if we can have a topic that's tangential to it, right? But non-commercial uh, ideas or guests that you would like to see um, would be appreciated. So having said that, um, I guess we're done. Yeah. See have a good week, everybody. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on 
your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.